<clears throat> I read a story about a woman who was tailgating a man. And uh, <clears throat> they were coming up to a four-way intersection and the light turned yellow. The man decided, uh, I'm gonna stop, and he did. This infuriated the woman behind him because she felt like if he had gone through, she could have gone through, and now she was stuck because of him. So she laid on the horn, she expressed some rude gestures physically, she rolled down the window, stuck her head out, and started cursing him. Behind her was a policeman. His lights came on. He walked up to the car quickly, grabbed her rather roughly, jerked her out of the car, put handcuffs on her, and took her to the police station. Three hours later, after all the processing was done, when she was walking out, she said to the officer, why did you treat me so roughly? He said, well, ma'am, I looked at the car. I saw what you were doing. And here's what I saw in the car. There, there was a bumper sticker that said, what would Jesus do? There was another one that said something about pro-life and God loves you and so do I. I looked at those, I looked at your behavior and I thought surely someone has stolen that car. <laughs> you know, we have a tendency to be who we are when we least expect it. Biologists talk about life as being non-neutral or being neutral, excuse me, where things are in balance. And that's what we all seek. That's when there's peace. But we find out things about ourselves in non-neutral environments, when it's not balanced, when we are faced with the unexpected. They've done studies about this with churches. They've taken the thermostat and they've adjusted it two or three degrees, either colder or hotter, and found out the real character of some of the church members. In fact, I pastored a church one time, it was a small church, and in the back of the church, there was a thermostat. I watched for a couple weeks as I was preaching there, and here's what would happen. Some woman would elbow her husband and say something kind of rough to him and he'd get up, he'd go up there and he would adjust the thermostat. Another woman across the way saw what happened. She would elbow her husband, say something to him, he'd get up and he'd adjust it back the other way. And this happened every week, back and forth. Then other people getting up and turning it. And so I said to the head deacon who was in charge of the building, I said, what, what do you think of all that? And he said, Pastor, I'm gonna let you in on a secret. I disconnected that thermostat 15 years ago. <laughs> People were getting angry because it was getting hotter. People were getting angry because it was getting colder. It wasn't doing neither. 
We find out things about ourselves when we find ourselves in unfamiliar territory. In fact, some say we are actually three people, that is, who we think we are, who others think we are, and who we really are. And in our quest for honesty with self and honesty with God, there will be a process where God will bring us into confrontation with who we really are. Sadly, learning who we really are usually requires some difficult and uncomfortable experiences. The reality of who we are and what we're capable of doing is usually demonstrated to us in the crucible of discouragement and pain. Today, we're going to continue our studies out of the book of Exodus. We're looking at Moses, and today Moses will meet Moses. Moses is going to become acquainted with himself in a better way than he's ever known before. And I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. If you would like some background to what we're studying, I would encourage you after the service today to pick up uh, some copies of the previous few weeks' sermons. We go into a lot of detail about the history and background and social experiences and what's happening. And in fact, uh, here in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that's what we studied last week. We're going to read it today, though, because we want the context of today's story. Exodus 5, verse 1, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. So... The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Now the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. Part of their work was to build, and part of that was to create the building materials. And back in those days, when they made bricks, they had forms for the bricks, and they would take clay, add enough water so it was the right consistency, con so it was the right amount of water, <laughs> and uh, then they would add straw and form it and set it out in the sun. And as the sun baked the bricks, a chemical reaction took place with the clay and the straw, making a very hard brick. Without the straw, you can still make a brick, but it is not hard enough. And 3,400 years later, some of those bricks are still holding up buildings in Egypt. So Pharaoh says, all right, Moses, you want to play games? Here's what we're going to do. 
Your people have to make the same quota of bricks, but we're not going to give them straw anymore. You want them to rest? You want them to worship God? I want them to work. We're going to find out who the boss is around here. Let's go on. Verse 8. You shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not diminish it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. That means they're gathering up the very short pieces that are left of the straw and they're shaking the dirt clods off of the roots. That's what they have to do. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So Pharaoh rejects Moses and makes the lives of the Hebrews more miserable. If you want to read ahead in the study and if you want a little insight into what might be of interest to you, you can study the person of Pharaoh and discover he portrays the role of how Satan attacks God's people. All they want to do is worship God. And so instead of allowing that, Pharaoh, who is being used by Satan, makes their life miserable. The next thing he's going to do, he's going to seek to divide them. Moses was sent by God to deliver the people. Moses did not want to go, but God said you had to go. Moses is there reluctantly, but he is there seeking to obey God. He goes into Pharaoh, he says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, not a chance. In fact, your people are going to become more in bondage than ever before. So Moses is in the midst of something he totally did not plan on. God said, kind of implied that there is going to be some difficulties, but this could never have been thought about before. Now Moses is in the vortex of real-time difficulties. And the Hebrews who have been assigned supervision over the other Hebrews are now being beaten because they simply can't keep up with the quota. Now watch what happens in verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you dealing thus with your servants? Moses showed up, showed them signs that God had given him to show them. And as you can read in chapter 4, all the people got excited. Our deliverance has come. And they bowed down and they worshiped God. And so Moses met with great acceptance initially. Now these Hebrews will not even talk to Moses. They bypass him. They go right on into Pharaoh. Verse 16. 
There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, make brick. And indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, you are idle, you are idle. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you. Yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not diminish any bricks from your daily quota. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Let's go back to Moses' experience. On his way to Egypt, he gets in a major conflict with his wife. God gives him an illness that nearly takes his life. And Zipporah takes a knife and cuts off the foreskin of their baby. That's what the issue was all about. Throws it at Moses, calls him a husband of blood. So Moses sends her home. His wife has rejected him. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has rejected him. Now the Hebrews have rejected him. And surely his brother Aaron is in process of doing the same. It reminds me of when I was pastoring in another conference. They told me it was a difficult church, was filled with strife, people bickering for power and control. I came home one day and announced to Karen that I had finally united that church. I'd finally united it. She said, how? I said, well, every one of them hates me. <laughs> they are united. Well, over time, it proved to be kind of true. And that wore on me. And so I would bring some of the stress of that into the house. And I was rude and unkind, impatient with my wife. And she looked at me one day and she said, Jerry, I'm the only friend you got and you're about to lose me. <laughs> Moses was all alone. He'd been called by God. He was following and doing what God said to do, but suddenly he finds himself totally alone. Everything in his life is screaming, Moses, you're a failure. Moses, you're a loser. Moses, nobody likes you. Moses, nobody should ever like you. Moses, you are nothing. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so discouraged? You're kind of like Job and you curse the fact that you were born? Why was I born? Why do I have to be here? It'd be better if I never had been. These things that come on us hit all of us 
We all get discouraged. And, and I wish I could teach that Christianity worked this way. You accept Christ into your heart and you'll never be tempted again. You accept Christ into your heart and commit yourself to serve him and everybody's gonna love you and everybody's going to appreciate you. You'll have no end of friends and encouragement. I wish I could say, you accept Christ, let him into your heart, you'll never be sick again. You'll never have financial stress again. All your bosses will love you and your life will be continually promotion after promotion and you're just going to have a great experience. That is not reality. Reality is we live in a real world with real pain, real problems, real difficulties, and real discouragements. Part of those discouragements is that we simply don't understand how it all works in the context of God. Let me stand on a very steep roof right now. I've got one foot on one side, one foot on the other. If I lift up either foot, I'm going down. One side says, these things come upon us because we're in the world. God uses them to educate us. The other side says, yeah, but God can bring things upon us and use those to educate us. And the evidence for both is clear in life. In a few weeks, we're going to get into these plagues. Those plagues don't just happen. God sends them. God initiates and activates things in life. But there are other times we are simply caught up in the world as it is moving along and things happen. Disease comes, misunderstandings take place, whatever. So I cannot stand here and give you a definitive answer. All I can say is, it's a steep pitched roof and it's easy to get out of balance. Somehow, God has it all figured out. Now, this difficulty that Moses is experiencing, God knew it was gonna happen. God knew how Moses would feel. And God is going to use it to introduce Moses to Moses so that Moses will learn some things about himself. I walked a mile with gladness. She chattered all the way. But I was none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. Not a word said she. But oh, the things I learned when sadness walked with me. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that in times of plenty rejoice, in times of difficulty, pain and loss, be contemplative. They're coming, think, think about it. Think about yourself and think about God and think about eternity. Now. I mentioned I wish that Christianity, you accepted Christ and all your problems are over. It's not true. And growing in our knowledge of God is also, just doesn't suddenly happen. It is a process. Moses is in process. 
And I want to forward about two years into his life and show you that the process is still continuing in his life. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 11. Turn to the right in your Bible. You'll go through Leviticus and you'll come to Numbers chapter 11. This is about two years after the story we're studying this morning. This is Moses talking to God. He says to God, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight. Those are pretty strong words. God, if you love me, just take my life. I can't bear this anymore. It is too much. It is too difficult. And God has an answer for it. And we'll study that when we get to that part of Moses' life. But just note this, that because Moses is going to learn something in chapter 5 of Exodus, two years later, he's still in process of trying to learn the same thing. So let's go back to Numbers or to Exodus chapter 5. And let's see what happens because God has a response. But Moses has an accusation first and then God will respond. We look at verses 22 and 23. Watch what Moses says. And Moses returned to the Lord. He's got nowhere else to go. No one else will even listen to him. So he returns to the Lord and he says, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Now, who brought trouble on the people? Pharaoh, right? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. What's up with this, God? Are you in control or not? Are you God or not? Do you have power or not? You tell me to come here. You tell me to deliver them. You tell me you're going to do it. You tell me all this is going to take place and you're doing nothing. And I'm sitting here being crushed by everybody I know. That's a man with an issue. So, what does God say? He responds. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let you go, let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Moses, I'm God. I'm God. I've got this. I've got it, buddy. I know what's happening now. I know what will happen later. I'm God. I've got it. We go on. <clears throat> I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. 
But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Yahweh is the covenant God, the one of promise. Verse 4, I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. The Lord is saying, <clears throat> Moses, I made promises, and I will keep every promise I have made. It goes on. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel from the Egyptians, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. I know what is going on. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of each of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of Egypt. God is saying there's a purpose for this and that is so people will come to know that I am their God. We read on. <clears throat> and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. But watch this, verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they would not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They rejected the message from God. So what does that teach us? That teaches us they're not ready to be delivered yet. They're not ready to serve God. They're not ready to follow Him. But God knows all that. God knows what Pharaoh has to do. God knows what has to happen to the people. He knows the whole thing. So Moses asked, why have you brought trouble? Why have you sent me? And God responds by reminding him of the promise by assuring him of its fulfillment and that the ultimate result will be he will be God to these people. Now, Moses, meeting Moses, brought to Moses the realization that God has a plan that is far-reaching and comprehensive God wanted Moses to learn one thing and one thing alone, and that is to trust Him. That's it. Isn't it interesting? That's the same thing He wants us to learn too, to trust Him. He wants us to trust Him when we're in loss. He wants us to trust Him when we have difficulties. I wrote a couple sentences here. And again, I don't come to you as an expert, but I come to you as a fellow journeyer, one who is trying to walk from here to heaven. So, their statements, perhaps their questions, but just, just listen to this. Perhaps... We will never know the depths of God's healing without knowing the depths of pain. 
Perhaps we will never comprehend God's acceptance without experiencing rejection. Perhaps we will never understand God's greatness without experiencing our weakness. Perhaps we will never know the inexpressible joy of being saved without experiencing the abhorrent realization of being lost. God has a plan that is far-reaching and comprehensive. It includes each of us. He is wanting us to learn to trust Him. Now I will tell you one thing that helps me when I'm discouraged. Sometimes when I wonder if God even cares or if He even exists, I go back to January 1975 when He came into my heart. Can't deny that experience. He so loved the world. He sent His only begotten Son to die for me. Why would He just neglect me if He did all that? I had an interesting experience in the first and second service. Josie Burgoyne sang there. And uh, she sang a song I hadn't heard for, I don't know, 30, 35 years. Evie Tornquist was a very popular musician in the 70s and 80s. And uh, Josie sang this song, and I asked her for a copy of the words, and she gave them to me. The song is called, Would You? And uh, I'll rehearse it before you. Would you cherish loving arms if you'd never shed a tear? Would you welcome going home if you'd never been away? Would you treasure guiding hands if you'd never been alone? I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't think so. Would you value having hope if you'd never known despair? Would you treasure being safe if you'd never lost your way? Would you cherish gentle words if you'd never been afraid? I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't think so. If we knew the love that the Lord has shown to man, if we really tried to do what the Lord has planned for us, then we would love each other more. We would find real happiness. Jesus loves you, my friends. He loves you. He really does love you. That I know. And I'm just wondering if there's anybody here today who would like to say, God, I want to trust you more. If you would like to say that, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, we don't understand a lot, but we believe in you. We've got nowhere else to go but to you. We pray by your grace that we would trust you more. We thank you in Jesus' name.